don't over plan, don't overthink, right? Be cognizant of where you stand today, what are the forces that are shaping your environment, and take the next step based on what you see. Account for that uncertainty and make sure that you, your approach towards life and business is to deal with this. Welcome to today's episode of our Composable Commerce Leaders podcast. Today I'm joined by Anurag Mehta from our solution partner Skillnet. Anurag uh, spent a lot of time with Skillnet uh, for almost 13 years in different roles. Most recently he was Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Operating Officer uh, before becoming uh, Chief Executive Officer three years ago. Anurag also shares a lot of interesting stories and experiences from uh, his past, uh, especially around disruptive technology solutions in retail, consumer and consumer goods and manufacturing, and how they, as a global SI, how they would approach projects from a consulting point of view, from an implementation point of view, uh, what is it that they learned as a best practice, uh, how to best explain composable commerce and all the business uh, and technology benefits, uh, what he is inspired by, and of course also all the do's and don'ts around Composable Commerce. So hopefully you will enjoy this session and this conversation. Uh, let's go. Welcome everyone to a new episode of our Composable Commerce Leaders podcast. Today uh, I am with Anurag Mehta from Skillnet who is a digital uh, commerce and transformational agency and service providing company um, from California in the United States. Welcome, Anurag. Thank you, Boris. Excited to be here. So great to have you on the show. Uh, we uh, have tons of questions uh, prepared for you, but why don't we start off with you know you just um, walking us through your uh, incredible career so far and how you how you got to uh, to Skillnet? Sure. Yeah, so I started my career in 96. I was born and raised in India, and after my business school, I went to work for a company uh, in management consulting called PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I started in mergers and acquisitions and then slowly ventured into the technology world. And from there, I was picked by Bond, which was a Dutch ERP. Mm -hmm. uh, they, wanted, they were setting up an industry unit in uh, industry consulting unit in Boston. Mm -hmm. So they picked me from New Delhi and brought me to Boston, mm -hmm. and I started working for them. From then, I went back to consulting with Booz Allen and Hamilton, where mm -hmm. I did management and strategic consulting. From then on to Manugistics, which was a leader in supply chain software technology, and mm -hmm. that got me the real uh, insights into the world of enterprise software and manufacturing CPG and retail verticals. And there I worked across the globe. I lived in Germany, I lived in India, I lived in the United States with Manugistics. And I was foolish enough to, uh, when Manugistics got acquired, I was foolish to set up my own business. Mm -hmm. So I set up a um, uh, supply chain planning and analytics company. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for investments when I met the founder of Skinnet. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to the other. Instead of giving me an investment, he offered to, for me to join his company. Okay. So that's how I came to Skinnet. Uh, and this was 2007. Mm -hmm. And I've been with Skinnet since, since that time. 
So, so it was been, an investment in, in you. Right? Not it was in an investment. <laughs> you can say that it was an investment in, in, in me, and, and I think I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. uh, I have played a variety of different roles in Skinlet. I started with international sales. Mm -hmm. From then on, I was running the business unit that was focused on, uh, on in-store retailing. Mm -hmm. And from there, I became the chief operating officer, president. And then just before the COVID hit, mm -hmm. I was stupid enough to take the CEO role. <laughs> not knowing what the world was going to offer to me. Okay. So, so it's been a it's been so, a fun journey. It's a fun uh, journey, yeah. Absolutely. It's been it's been marvelous and it, o over these many years I've I've just been very fortunate to work with some of the best brands in the industry today and in my past. So And walk us through what what, what Skillnet is doing. So so yeah. who 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 are you selling to? So what's yeah. the ICP what industries, what use yes. cases and 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 who are the typical buyers you absolutely. you meet? So I, I want to start with the vision. Mm -hmm. We are our vision is to be makers of modern commerce, mm -hmm. right? So that's a that's a very bold statement. By makers, we mean we're not restricted to being a system implementer, mm -hmm. an engineering firm, a consulting firm, an advisory firm. It's all of the above. Mm -hmm. In in my parlance, in my language, makers means anybody who enables it. It could be with a variety of different tool sets. Right. Modern means something that's continuously evolving. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen, we started in retail in 1997, and the retail business of 97 and retail business of 2023 looks very, very different. Right. The technology has shifted, the customer has shifted, the macro environment has shifted. And so modern means it needs to be catering to the needs of today and mm -hmm. the needs of tomorrow. Right. So we're, we're focused on that. And commerce to us is any business uh, or any technology or any solution that is needed for customer engagement and customer transaction journey, mm -hmm. right? So it could be point of sale in the stores, it could be e-commerce, it could be loyalty, it could be order management, any piece of technology that enables that value chain of customers buy a journey. Right. That's, our, that's our focus and it's been our focus for the past 25 years. Okay, and right. is there any in industry industry focus you have? or I, Certainly. I, I, so within commerce, of course, the main industry is retail, right? Mm -hmm. So we've served all kinds of retailers. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, these are mid to larger enterprise retailers who are typically omni-channel, right. who have in-store as well as online assets. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've also worked with CPG companies that mm -hmm. are doing retailing. We've worked with telcos, mm -hmm. with the commerce arms of telcos. Yeah. We've even put commerce solutions for a train station in Chicago, the Chicago Metro, which is a suburban train station in, okay. in Chicago. So any kind of industry that, that needs that customer engagement and customer transaction is commerce for us, and we play in that space. And when, when, uh, when did Composable Commerce start for you so when when was the first time you heard about it and and more importantly when when talking to clients nowadays how do you explain how do you define composable, composable commerce is there yeah. any analogies any simple analogies you would use uh, of to course so uh, it's funny i think there is a circular um, system in the world of technology mm -hmm. so i did not hear the composable name say until 2018 or 19 mm -hmm. but the idea of having best of breed has existed from long back. You know, right. there was a time when my customers were looking at best of breed solutions and cobbling them together to then going to monolithics, and now they're coming back to the world of right. uh, world of composable. So I think it's not a new idea, but it's become a lot more relevant today. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's become a lot more relevant is that the world around us is not certain anymore. Mm -hmm. The customer is changing, 
the economy is changing, the macroeconomic factors are changing, and the technology is changing. So you need systems that can be very agile, that can be broken down into simple into different pieces and put them back together in different business models, right. and that, that foster innovation and speed. So my favorite analogy is that of a Lego block, mm -hmm. right? So you can, if you have the right Lego blocks, you can create a house the way you want to look at it. And mm -hmm. tomorrow you don't like that house or you want to build something else, you can break it apart and piece it together in a different way. You can exchange a Lego piece for another Lego piece or similar looking Lego piece, piece mm -hmm. right? So Composable is the most flexible technology architecture mm -hmm. that, that enables you to create new business models very quickly mm -hmm. and from a technology perspective be able to keep your investments in technologies that you don't need to change right. and only address incrementally technologies that you need to evolve. So and, and, and how do you translate it uh, to a business buyer, right? So, so yeah. because like architecture is great, right? And it's, it's great Absolutely. to have this interoperability of parts yeah. and all good, but, but now you're talking to a sales marketing or just yeah. a, an owner of a business or yeah. a CFO, yeah. right? So what is in for them? Why should they care about, is it composable or yeah. is it something else? Absolutely, so I, I break it down into three different personas, mm -hmm. right? So to the business user, what does a business user today demand? Mm -hmm. A business user demands two things, flexibility, because again, because of the uncertainty around him, mm -hmm. right? He wants a, an ability that he can reorganize his business or create a new business model very, very quickly, mm -hmm. right? And be able to experiment with it very quickly. So example, in, in COVID times, uh, a lot of CPG companies were forced to sell direct. Mm -hmm. That's a new business model for a CPG right. company. Or a retailer was forced to create a curbside experience. That could be a completely new business model. The business user doesn't care about technology, but he cares about flexibility and speed. Mm -hmm. So that's my pitch to a business buyer. Right. To the CFO, the pitch is, is incremental capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. You don't have to rip and replace and spend millions of dollars on a uh, piece of technology. Right? Right. You can take incremental steps, you can replace, you can create a roadmap for your capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. And your ROI is much faster because you're not trying to tackle a boil the ocean and tackle the entire right. thing at all at once. Mm -hmm. And of course, to the technology buyer, it's, it's a more modern architecture to um, and, and, and also it allows the CIO to organize his teams a lot more efficiently because now you can do multi, multitasking, you can have a team that's just focused on one packaged business scenario, you can have a team that's focused on loyalty versus mm -hmm. a team that's focused on cart and create specialized smaller teams that can work in parallel. And, and how are you organizing, how do you support your customers with everything beyond technology, right? So, so, so yeah. we have this marketing slogan, which, which, which is compose outcomes beyond technology, right? And the reason why we have it is that, you know, technology is great, right? Yeah. And obviously we are commerce, commerce, you know, software platform. Absolutely. And, you know, you guys are doing the, the consulting piece and implementation piece, but our customers need more than that, right? They won't of be course. successful just by changing the technology no. alone. So is there any, so walk us through, you know, how you organize, what teams you have internally, like either from customer success yeah. or consulting side or yeah. whatever to help them, to first of all, help them sell internally, right, on uh, like a composable commerce strategy, sure. build it, operate it, focus on the right metrics, ideally expand. Absolutely, so we have, we organize ourselves as three different kinds of teams. On the, on, uh, the upstream side is the business advisory and consulting. So this is a team that would, regardless of the technology, sit down with the key stakeholders and understand what is the problem that we're looking to solve, 
What are the key matrix, matrix you want to measure success on, right? What is your digital maturity today? Um, what are your, how is your business going to evolve in future? And sort of create a framework to evaluate what do you need to fix your business problem, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and how do you measure that? So, mm -hmm. and, and create an ROI analysis for that, right? right? So we regularly engage with decision makers to, for example, do a vendor selection mm -hmm. or to create a road strategy roadmap or create a cloud cloudification roadmap, right? right? So that's our advisory service line, mm -hmm. right? Then we have the technology team, mm -hmm. which has capability to implement software from large vendors such as a Spryker mm -hmm. or an Oracle, but also to be able to engineer brand new applications. Right. So for example, you could have a customer that is using Spryker backend services mm -hmm. uh, and composable micro, you know, packaged uh, mm -hmm. components, but wants to create a completely new UI using a mobile app. We have the capability, I have the teams that can build the app as well as implement the backend services mm -hmm. from Spiker. Mm -hmm. And then the mm -hmm. third team is it's focused around support and sustainability. Right. Because it's it's one thing to implement software once. Yeah. But you have to maintain, sustain, and keep evolving. Right. Right. So all these three pieces sort of come together and and sort of we we're able to walk the customer right from the start all the way to the end. The cool thing is so beyond that, the reason why customer like to work with us is two things. One, because of domain. Mm -hmm. This is the only industry we serve. We live, breathe, drink, sleep, right. think commerce right. for the last 25 years, mm -hmm. right? So we understand this domain extremely well. Mm -hmm. What that allows us to do is to lead the customer. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't sit and say, hey, what do you want me to do? We actually tell them, these are the things that are happening in the industry and this is what you should do or look mm -hmm. at. So we push back, we offer thought leadership and guidance. Push back means you would also challenge Yes. Use cases and business cases. Hundred percent. Say, hey, you know, this might not be the right first use case. Why don't we start with with that? You know, you guys, you know, get to a certain success level. You know, then we continue with this use case. Or if we start with this, with you know, this will be too expensive. Your your shareholders, you know, will see results in twenty four months. One hundred percent. Okay. It, it's the challenging. It's it's being that being that partner. You know, feeling the pain and the requirement of the customer from their seat, mm -hmm. and challenging and guiding them towards making the making the right decision, giving them perspective of what their peers are doing. Mm -hmm. Because we work with fifty different brands today, right. we're able to sort of take experiences from each other and share it with our right. customers. So that's that's the reason that customers love us beyond our technical capability. And the other other thing is our nimbleness and flexibility. Mm -hmm. We're we're able to work with variety of different operating models. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm going to do everything from soup to nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if a customer has a very strong engineering team, we just augment that team. Right. Right. Or they already have an existing partnership, we layer ourselves on top of it. So we're very flexible in terms of how we're able to fit within the construct of the customer. And that is why Skinlet has enjoyed some very long-standing customer relationships. And, and speaking about, so, so, so I like, I like the, um, this first team, uh, this advisory team that you have, and you, yeah. you said that they help to focus also on the right, on the right uh, metrics, yes. right? So, so when you say the right metrics, because this is also something we, we are seeing a lot, yeah. that customers embark on this journey too fast, yes. right? And, and would either just manage it by technical KPIs only, the success uh, by taking KPIs only, or the wrong metrics, right? Yes. So, so, so maybe let's double click on this one, right? So, so how exactly is this team working? So, which 
metrics is this team helping the customer the customers today because I guess majority of them are going through a digital transformation journey right so yes. there are many many building blocks right results are not all not always uh, obvious right away right so you might absolutely. have to take sometimes a step back to make two steps uh, uh, forward right absolutely so, so absolutely so I think the the matrix the good thing is that some of the matrix are very common across whatever kind of customer you are and whatever mm -hmm. industry you are but some of the other metrics are very very uh, specific to you. So we look at metrics again from the three personas. What's the matrix for the business user? What's the matrix for the technology user? What's the matrix for the finance, for the CFO, mm -hmm. right? So we, we look at all of that put together. So for the business user, the matrix could be speed. How quickly can I innovate? If I want to create a new business scenario, is it going to take me months or weeks or days or minutes, mm -hmm. right? Um, what are my requirements today versus how I'm going to scale in future? Mm -hmm. I may be running a million transactions today, but in three years from now, I'm looking to do 10 million transactions. Right. I'm starting in the U.S. right now, but you know, in five years from now, I want to operate in 23 different markets. Mm -hmm. So there are business, we look at the business requirements and create matrix around that. Right. Then the, the CIO will, or the technology team will have their own matrix, you know, mm -hmm. performance. Uh, is the t underlying technology in line with our future state? Mm -hmm. Is this a technology that's sustainable? Mm -hmm. Is there skills available in their market? Is mm -hmm. there a partner ecosystem, right? Um, and then for the CFO, right? Again, create the return on investment mm -hmm. and create a roadmap of the return on investments. Okay. So we look at variety of the, those different matrices and customize it for a particular particular customer. And let's talk about objections a little bit because like there are many, many advantages of composable cameras yeah. and of implementing a composable camera yes. strategy. But what are some of the objections which, which you're hearing from, yeah. from, from customers? Or, or what are the risks if, if there are no objections? Yeah. You know, and, and you have an honest conversation about you know the, the, the composable approach in general, what is it you know that, that you would list as hey, yeah. this is a risk, you know, this is this is a potential uh, issue that we need to think of, right? This is not it's not all gold, right? Uh, yeah. So, so what would you say? There are three that I, that I mostly come across. Three challenges or sort of objections or, or um, sort of forces that work against the composable common. One is the people, you know, buyer feels overwhelmed because now mm -hmm. suddenly your choices have gone from one, two, or three different technology platforms to hundreds because mm -hmm. you can plug and play and pick and choose. Now you have to look at a much wider ecosystem. Okay, right. I can have a shopping cart with someone, I can have a CMS, I can have a PIM with someone, but I need to then evaluate a lot many more vendors, mm -hmm. right? So it becomes overwhelming mm -hmm. versus, okay, I'm gonna just buy everything from one, <laughs> from one place, yeah. right? It's simplicity. The other thing is complexity of the technology complexity, right? Mm -hmm. So the sh the sh what Composable does is, of course, it provides the agility, et cetera, but then your architecture and your integration complexity increases because now you have to cobble together hundreds of different applications mm -hmm. uh, and you have to worry about compatibility, you have to worry about integration, you have to worry about API security mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So the complexity shifts uh, in a different way, right? It's, it's, uh, it's smaller applications, but they all have to come together nicely. So the glue has to be very strong. Right. Um, so those are sort of the three things: is security, complexity, and and uh, um, sort of overwhelming nature of the, the selection process becomes overwhelming. And, and and how do you how do you explain them that 
still the advantages very likely will outweigh the, the disadvantages that you just listed. Yeah. So the, the way we work with, with our customers is, is tell them that this is a journey, first mm -hmm. of all. You don't have to pick every component right at the go. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you've already invested in a lot of those components, you've built a lot of stuff over time, and if it's working, keep it. Mm -hmm. Start with things that, you, that need to be fixed today. Mm -hmm. uh, focus on those solutions and only worry about that technology. Mm -hmm. But pick a platform that's flexible enough. Mm -hmm. Don't pick every functional component or every piece of technology, but pick the right platform that mm -hmm. has the right architecture, that has the flexibility. But beyond that, be very picky. Mm -hmm. You don't have to boil the ocean and do everything all together. Right. That reduces the size of the problem. Um, and then choose the right, right partner. Mm -hmm. You're not going to find every skill in-house, right? And you need a partner like a Skinlet or other system implementation partner to reduce the complexity of putting these pieces together. We are in this business, we've solved these integration challenges before, mm -hmm. and so we can take the risk out of, out of that equation. And what is a good framework uh, that, that you apply? So I, I liked how you said that companies now can select you know, the best card and the best payment, yeah. the best auto management system, but should they? Right. So, so how sure. how yeah. how, the, how to decide between hey, you know, I rather go with the card and the OMS maybe from this vendor uh, where I get two or three package business capabilities that are already you know composed and I can yeah. use them versus uh, no, I should go and split it up like into like you know ten, fifteen yeah. different domains and entities, right? Because you, you can go like you know fully of course fully 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 uh, democratic. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> or you or you can or you can still like buy everything, buy like, everything in, in one, one uh, block. So, so so what's a good framework which which you're applying in a in a consulting in consulting yeah. your customers to to, to decide? Yeah, I think the the few things that we advise the customer to look at is your own digital maturity, mm -hmm. right? Make an honest assessment of how strong you are to deal with that kind of complexity of picking every solution from a different vendor. Mm -hmm. There are some customers who have the wherewithal mm -hmm. and the maturity in their organization to really build everything from multiple different pieces to put together. Mm -hmm. That's the nirvana. That's like building your own car from the first principles, you know, buying your own tires and buying your own steering and buying right. your own engine and putting it together. If you have the proficiency and skills to do that, yeah. Perfect for you. Yeah. You can have the best the exact car that you want. But if you don't have that digital maturity, then maybe it's better to reduce that size. Maybe buy a componentized architecture, a composable architecture, but maybe limit yourself to one or two mm -hmm. proven partners. Right. right. And the cool thing about this is it's a journey. You don't have you can start with something, but yeah. as you mature, you can always replace a component with something else that you like, right? And companies should also look, uh, I think, into you know what problem they are actually trying to solving, exactly. right? So there's too much. So just the fact that you can't split it up, if if you know managing your product data is not your problem, right? Because you Why you would it? get all the product data you're from your backend system. Yeah. There is no, no uh, a product master data team sitting and augmenting the data. So why would you have a dedicated you know split out vendor mm -hmm. and PIM you know service or capability, if maybe like pricing or tax is something proprietary to you, exactly. you know, it's a differentiator to you, then, then rather build it maybe in-house, keep, like keep the IP for yeah. yourself uh, uh, versus, hey, this is a commodity component, right? This is exactly. you know, something I can buy from the market. Yeah, what is the problem you need to solve? And if it's not a problem, don't solve it today. Yeah. Do an incremental solution rather than 
buy a solution and force fit all your problems to fit that solution. And are you seeing more greenfield projects starting with this composable approach right away versus maybe more uh, legacy platforms and monolithic applications being cut, cut into, so we call it elephant carpaccio, yes. like cut into uh, the different building blocks and pieces, right? Uh, yeah. Because you, you, you said that one of the arguments to, uh, to, the, to the CFO yeah. is basically that, hey, you know, you don't have yeah. to take this, this, this uh, big implementation cost right away. You so don't have to take all the migration risk right away. Right. You, know, you can do this capability by Over capability, time. slicing things out. So uh, what is the proportion of what you see in the market, like of Greenfield versus replatforming yeah. project go, going for this composable commerce approach? Most of my customers are, are uh, you know, large organization, mid-tier mid, mid to large organizations. And where you find in those organizations is they've, they have evolved over a number of years, maybe through acquisition, through regional growth, and they already have a lot of different systems in place, right? So it's not a green feel. I'm a new retailer that's coming brand new and I'm upgrading from an Excel to a proper enterprise system. Most right. of my customers already have systems in mm -hmm. place. And so the conversation there is, what can we preserve today? Mm -hmm. To your point, yeah. what is the specific problem that we need to solve mm -hmm. while preserving the investments that we've already made over time? Yeah. So in most cases, I would say majority of the cases in my customer set is that modernization journeys. You take the monolith, you decide which pieces you need to break out, maybe wrap the monolith pieces around API layers, and slowly, part by part, replace. In some cases, it is replacement just, just making it headless, mm -hmm. right? It, could not, it may not need to be completely composable. You can just right. com decompose the presentation layer, right. if you will, and keep the back end just wrapped around yeah. uh, you know, microservices and just make it headless first. And then maybe yeah. start going out and decomposable. Yeah. But I would say majority is that modernization of legacy platform. And like when you when you sell and when you consult large large organizations, what is the what are the preconditions which are needed to to implement a composable commerce strategy? Right. So you know it's like you know we can provide them with a state of the art commerce technology. You can provide them with with all the consulting yeah. services. But I guess there are some preconditions, or, or maybe if I re, re, rephrase it, there might be customers where. You would say, "Hey, you guys are just not ready yet. You know, you you, you shouldn't go compose if you are not ready to do these investments into the the org chart, or if you are not ready to apply a certain methodology. This will not be a successful project, right? So, yeah. so what are the typical markers and preconditions you would look out uh, for when when, when talking and, co and, and consulting customers about this composable approach? Yeah, again, uh, it's a very valid point, and again, we break it down to the three personas." Mm -hmm. And each one of those personas should be very clear in terms of why they're going for the, uh, composable uh, architecture and are they ready. So let's talk about the business persona. Mm -hmm. There, uh, you know, I want to make sure that it's the, as an organization that uh, customer is geared towards innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are an organization that regardless of the technology does not want to innovate or create right. new business models, then Composable is not the right mm -hmm. solution for you because you're yeah. not looking for agility. Right? right. For the technology organization, I'm looking at how you're organized and do you have a DevOps mindset? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have an <coughs> agile mindset? Do you have team members that are committed to work in that fashion? Uh, or are you very monolithic in your approach? 
in your processes, in your people, right? So, and then from a, from a finance perspective, right, uh, composable doesn't necessarily mean cheap, right? right? It, it, could, it could in some cases be a lot more expensive than, than a complete monolithic application, right? Are you prepared to invest, not just for today's problem, but in future proofing your organization? So we, we do an honest assessment on all those mm -hmm. areas. And for some customers, if the answer is you're not ready now, yeah. or maybe it's not the right thing for you. And so I, I, I like this thinking about agility. Uh, I think Gardner calls it business agility. Yeah. I think like often business agility is very hard to convert and translate into a tangible, because business agility sounds nice. Everyone wants yeah. to be agile, right? But, yeah. but the moment you start to convert it and translate it into a commercial metric, right? So what exactly, how much, how much are you willing to pay for this business agility, right? Pay right. in terms of like, pay for software, pay for, in terms of like time it maybe takes for your organization to get from right. point A to point B, uh, pay for consulting, pay right. for the digital fitness of your organization exactly. and to get them there. So, so uh, what is a good advice or good best practice here to help companies, you know, convert business agility into something more tangible? Yeah, I think it's a great, uh, great question. And I, I don't think we've solved that problem necessarily by creating some very measurable ROIs for agility. Mm -hmm. I think it's just to have that honest conversation. Mm -hmm. you look at your business and look at the past. In the past five years, have you actually experimented? How often have you experimented with new business models, mm -hmm. new functions, new processes, new ideas? Do you have a... Um, top-down approach towards decision-making or is it a, is it a more bottoms-up approach? Is there a fail-fast fail approach in the organizations? These are hard to measure in terms of yeah. tangible ROI. So I don't think as an industry we figured out how best to measure the return on agility. But I think agility needs to be put on the same metrics as speed, mm -hmm. as scale, mm -hmm. as security. All of those are important dimensions, yeah. I think agility is almost, if not more, at the same level important. I think the cost of change uh, is maybe like something that, you know, all of us should be working on, right? And yeah. then put this in a, you know, some sort of white paper and say, look, you know, the TCO is not just your upfront investment. Let's look yeah. over three, five years and yeah. let's measure or at least assume the cost of change, you know, that you're doing. And cost of change can be everything, like from, you know, the, the number of deployments you're doing yeah. to the number of, you know, how often have you changed, like your touch points, That's right. you know, business models, et cetera, right? And I think Absolutely. That, because I think, uh, to your point, this this conversion is missing and everyone yes. and, and, and everyone talks about business agility, but yeah. it is not as tangible. It's not tangible. Right? And if yeah. someone, but what is tangible is if some of the, uh, legacy guys come in and you know they throw one SKU in for free just you know because they don't want you to turn off the legacy monolithic platform yes. right and then you come in and say yeah well, you know but you want to be business agile right but you but know what's uh, how do you monetize how do you, you monetize, monetize this right so yeah. here is a and, and uh, free can be a very powerful yes. like a very, very po <laughs> powerful argument right so so you need, I think we uh, yeah all of us we, need, we to, need to all of us need to come at figuring yeah. out how to uh, measure this agility I think that's a great point you're making and um, like going forward, I think composable commerce, like in general, is, is a relatively new new trend, right? So if you like fast forward and uh, like two, three, four years from now, so where do you see it going? What what what's your what's your view on how composable commerce will will look like and what will it evolve into in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, I think commerce itself is going to evolve, and, and by nature of it, composable commerce is going to evolve. A, f a few trends that I'm seeing specifically related to commerce that are very interesting is one of this unification of channels. It's not a new trend. It's been going on forever. But now more and more with the composable architecture, it allows you an ability to bring your channels from even a technology perspective look mm -hmm. together, right? right? So you could be transacting in a store or online, but your customer is a customer. A transaction is a transaction. Mm -hmm. A price is a price. A inventory, an item is an item. So why do you need different systems, different technologies to, to power mm -hmm. your channels, right? Yeah. So that's one trend that I'm, I'm seeing more and more is composable, is not just attacking the online world, but becoming more and more relevant for the offline world as well. Right. The other trend that I see is, is around AI, the GPTs, the, you know, all of this machine learning. How do these composable components, the package business components, how would they become more and more powerful with the infusion of AI natively in them, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a pricing or an inventory PBC, you know, right. just native AI and, and chat, because that's a huge, huge progression in technology that I'm seeing. The third is uh, this whole, you know, area of ESG and sustainability and environment and mm -hmm. uh, ethical uh, mm -hmm. aspects of retailing. Right. Uh, and, and how is the composable technology space going to offer more and more use cases around making right. an organization more ESG compliant? Mm -hmm. um, so I think those three uh, primarily, and then I would add, say, maybe voice. You know, um, how do you infuse voice commerce into uh, in, into your entire life cycle of commerce technologies? And mm -hmm. I think all of those are very exciting growth areas, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how. Yeah. Spriker and other players in the field are, are going to be uh, innovating around these aspects. Yeah, it's a, it's a very very cool uh, very cool vision. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, let's let's maybe uh, so in the beginning you said something interesting. You said that uh, it is especially when when selling to the, to a business buyer, what they are seeking is to solve for uncertainty, right? And uncertainty yes. basically means that you know uh, you would not know how your customers will want to buy in two years from now, exactly. three years from now, right? And so, so, and I think we, 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 we as an industry, we have seen a lot of uncertainty in the last like three, four, five years, oh and a lot God. of things have changed, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, from the pandemic to yeah. inflations, recessions, yeah. wars, bank runs, etc. So, so I think when there was a time to to actually uh, uh, to actually um, you know use these examples to customers, say, look, you know, how much the world has changed over and over and over again, yeah. and customer behavior has changed over and over and over again. In, like just look at the last three four years, right? Yeah. So I, I'm super interested in, you know, learning more about how, like the conversations you are having with with with, with customers specifically about composable commerce and business objectives yeah. and what they are asking you actually for have changed. So is it is it now easier to pitch, you know, uh, all of that? Is it harder? Are they asking more about hey, Anurag, it's great architecture. I trust you guys. You know what is right. But hey, whatever we do. I need an ROI in the next like three, four months. Otherwise, you know, my board will not give me the, the budget for the next use case. Of course. Or, you know, time to value needs to be half of what it was three years ago. So what changes have you observed in yeah. the customer the customer behavior? Wow, well, I, I, you know, our, our world is, is going through, I mean, a, a massive amount of change. And I think to we need to constantly measure this level of uncertainty. I think this is a trajectory that's going to keep increasing. The uncertainty across the world will keep 
increasing. It's not a new phenomenon, right? right? And the factors that cause that uncertainty are also increasing. So I, I, I uh, you know, one analogy I use is, is like playing chess. Mm-hmm. But now playing chess in a way that for every move, your board configuration may change. Mm-hmm. Your rules of the game might change, and the player that you're playing against might change. Mm-hmm. So how do you play chess in a condition like that? Yeah. You cannot think 10 steps ahead. You have to always take a step, optimize, assess your environment, and take the next step. You have to be agile, right? Um, the conversations, so today I see three different dimensions of change. One, the consumer is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, the demographics of the consumer is changing. We have a lot more international consumer, global citizens, younger people who are natively, right. you know, uh, technology uh, compliant, people who are willing to exchange privacy for uh, efficiency Co- and convenience, convenience. Yeah. right? Uh, uh, so personalization is not that big a deal for them. Uh, uh, consumers that are a lot more green mm-hmm. and conscious about right. ESG and ethical nature of, of sales. So consumer is shifting. And loyalty is also going down, loyalty right? People is going are much, down. much less loyal to brands Absolutely. that they have been because it's so easy to just easy to, to change. jump from one brand to exactly. another. And convenience is really key. I mean, consumer today demands that they will shop when they want to shop, at what device they want to shop, how they want to shop. And they're not, you know, their journeys, they're creating their own journeys every day. They, yeah. they are dictating. The power is in the hands of the consumer today. They are dictating their shopping behavior. So that's one trend. The other is technology, of course, we all know about, oh my God, all the things that are going on in technology right. from AI to AR, VR, to chatbots, to robotics, to, uh, to IoT and what, whatever comes next, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the middle, the macroeconomics is the most interesting to me. I see there's five different eyes going on. So infection, so COVID has taught us right. that the world can be, you know, one microbe can bring down the entire world. Right. And change the way we look at life and work and everything else. Within days. <laughs> exactly, yeah. within days. So that's the first eye is the infection. The second eye is invasion. You know, seeing what's happened with, uh, with Russia and Ukraine and how that's disrupted yeah. the global markets in terms of supply chain and everything else. The third eye that I see is invasion, uh, um, uh, inventory, which is all the supply chain problems that we've seen. Ships getting stuck and suddenly retailers had to completely rethink their buying, where they're buying from, how they're shipping, the logistics, supply, chain, yeah. supply, the entire supply chain. Uh, in, in inflation, it's a big, big uh, conversation today. And in, you know, who knows how this is going to go. Right. And interest rates. So these five eyes, <laughs> uh, I think, are completely transforming the way around us. And they will completely, do, completely to, uh, com- you know, continue to transform. The good thing that is, this has done is that this has made the conversation around uh, uncertainty and agility easier. easier. Yeah, people have more examples. People uh, have more examples. They've seen it in their lives. If you're not agile, you're dead. Yeah. Right. So it has it has made agility as a very important factor, uh, and therefore, by corollary, you know, selling composable, in some ways, has become easier. Now, of course, there are some uh, near-term macroeconomics. Uh, conditions that that make things harder, maybe the buying decisions are longer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the trajectory is right. I mean, we have to give uh, agility a, a, a big premium, and therefore, composable is might be a good good path to look at. Yeah, and many companies who have really mastered it, uh, and and who like what I'm always saying is, especially on the B2B side, in the last three to four years, companies lost many arguments and excuses 
mm. because they just, you know, the arguments and excuses they had, you know, when talking to, to, you know, companies like yours for years, right? Oh, no, we can't do this and we are, you know, a big company, blah, blah, blah. We have these, we have these rules. The button's not yet green enough. The app is not fast enough. We can't roll it out. We have yeah. a brand reputation to lose. You know, when they lost all these arguments overnight, like, for example, during pandemic, yeah. sales reps not on the road anymore, right? Yeah. They, what they have experienced is that customers are forgiving. Customers are fine buying through Zoom. Customers are fine, you know, buying from an app where the button is maybe not, you know, 100% center. And, and I think the, these, these MVP approaches and this agility yes. that everyone was teaching and preaching became more tangible. Became real. Yeah. Right? It became real, right? So, so now it's, it's easier, so at least for the ones who not bounce back in the old patterns and old behavior, right? right? There are still some companies like, uh, uh, who, who, who will know, fall back. Will fall to back. To old right? habits. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And um, what, I'm, what I'm, you know, super interested in, in learning uh, from you is when you, when you think back a couple of years, like a couple of years back, uh, and, and th there would be an opportunity to give some, some advice to, to your past self, uh, what would it be? What, what would you do? Oh, my God. There are so many <laughs> things I could teach my past self. <laughs> um, you know, again, to the point of uncertainty and change is, is the one advice that I would give, you, give myself, not just in business, but in life. Don't overplan. Don't overthink, mm -hmm. right? Be cognizant of where you stand today. What are the forces that are shaping your environment? And take the next step based on what you see. Don't plan your life. Don't plan your business. Don't plan your team. Don't plan your technology for what will happen 10, 15, 20 years from mm -hmm. now. You know, account for that uncertainty and make sure that you, your approach towards life and business is to deal with this. Yeah, trajectory of uncertainty that's just going to keep going up. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the good news is, especially like during pandemic, what I was positively surprised by, and, and there are of course there have been experts who have predicted this will this will happen, but what I was surprised uh, positively surprised by was the fact how fast, you know, the global community, the scientist community, the pharma yeah. community, were actually able to solve a problem of. You know, and if you think about the order of magnitude, right? Oh, so yeah. like billions of people being impacted, yes. and then within like a couple of months, basically, yeah. you know, so, so so the power of will and also the allocation of money, the political frameworks have all been put in place like super super fast, right? Yes. And if you think about like some of the environmental problems, this this on the negative side, on the downside, always teaches me that there must be more pain apparently, because if we would want it, you know, to solve you know certain issues, we could, yeah. right? Um, but this was kind of the positive. Yeah. Uh, that, that the, the other thing that I have more appreciation for over, over this time is focus on the controllables. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of things that is going on in the world that you don't control. Right. If you don't control it, you can't fix it. So why yeah. worry about it, right? Yeah. Focus on things that you can actually control and fix. They could be small things and work on those and really compartmentalize and keep those uncontrollables. Be aware of them, but keep them. Don't worry about them. Keep them on another side of your brain. Yeah. And, and execute on, on control. I, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a, a very famous quote and um, story actually from Jeff Bezos from Amazon who said mm -hmm. something very similar. He said that what, like, their business strategy is not to focus on the unknown because it is unknown and there is uncertainty and you, yeah. to your point, you can't over, you should not be 
over engineering and future engineering right. and blah blah blah. It's it just impossible. Exactly. But but try to build a strategy of things that are certain that will not change in time. And he gave an example for their business, saying they have three components they focus on, which is like low prices, vast selection, right, and fast availability. Knowing that you know it doesn't matter how they will deliver goods. This can be via exactly. trucks. This can be using FedEx. This can be using drones. This can be beaming the products to your home. But there will not be a moment in time where customers would say, hey, Jeff, you know what? I love your company. I just wish you would deliver a little bit fast, uh, slower. Absolutely. Your uh, values I, I, will not change. I love, I love Amazon, but I wish the prices would be a bit higher. Right? Absolutely. So very likely this will not happen. So, and if you find these constants in your business, whatever this is, this, this is not like, yes. you know, it's, it's not these three necessarily. It can be different things. Build your business strategy on top of what you know will happen, what exactly. is for sure to stay and not to change. So it's a very similar, I think, yeah. idea. The values or your business objectives or your goals should be constant. They should right. not change. Similarly, investing in the right people, right kind of people with the right attitude, mm -hmm. right skills, that's a given. You know, if you have the right leadership and execution teams and they're empowered, they're decentralized, they are empowered to fail fast, they're empowered to make decisions, then you as an organization, not just as a technology, as an mm -hmm. organization, you are proofing yourself for uncertainty. Right. Because if you have smart people, they, they will figure it out, just like people have figured out how to solve COVID across the world. Of course. Smart people will figure out any problem that will arise that you can't predict for today. And are there any interesting, controversial you know, statements or ideas you have which, which other people typically disagree with? Uh, oh my God, you're going to put me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, I th I think the the uh, the um, the idea on the on the political side the idea is that you know we in the U.S. you know it's a big political debate you know mm -hmm. you have the Democrats and the Republicans on one side and Republicans and and my my idea is that again we need to make it uh, composable mm -hmm. there are things in on on the Democrat side. Uh, the philosophy and thinking and, and uh, the aspects of it. And there are some uh, things on the Republican side. And I, I don't see myself as either. Yeah. I see myself as a c composed uh, <laughs> human being that, that takes things from here and things from there. And a lot of times in this country, at least, that's a that's hard, uh, hard debate. You know, people directly put you in one camp or the other. And I, I think uh, that... You know the idea that you don't have to be in one camp or the other sometimes can be pretty controversial. But I, it's, that's it's, how I feel about myself. It's, it's a great analogy uh, and also uh, funny to hear that you know, monoliths are also not working in politics, <laughs> as, 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 as they are not working in uh, technology super super well. <laughs> and and last question I would have for you is: Is there any um, blog or book recommendation which we will also link in the show notes, which you would be happy to share as something that you, you know, inspired you or really pushed 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 your thinking? Yeah. You know, one of the books that I've been meaning to read for a long time and it's been sitting on my table, but finally I got a chance to read, is a book uh, called Autobiography of a Yogi. I mm -hmm. don't know if you've read it, but it's a, it's a very interesting, it's a, it's a lot more philosophical book and things about long term and what your place in the society is or mm -hmm. in the world is and how do you use uh, things like yoga and meditation to progress yourself. But I think it's very appropriate in this world. Mm -hmm. Again, if you think at where the world is headed and 
this whole idea of permanence versus impermanence. Mm -hmm. There's a philosophical uh, analogy to it, and uh, especially in the in the culture that I come from, if you look at the Hindu my, uh, culture, uh, there is nothing called permanence. It actually mm -hmm. tells you that everything is impermanent yeah. and everything is changing, and what you see is not what 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 is what is the truth. Everyone sees the truth a different way, right. and you can actually apply that to, to to business today. You know, we've been talking about all of this uncertainty for the whole time. But this book, the autobiography of Yogi, actually create, you know, gives you a framework to think about it from a philosophy and spiritual perspective. That's a great so I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy that I was able to finish that book. Mm -hmm. And I think the more number of times that I read it, I get new perspective. Okay. And if you've not read it, I would highly recommend it's a great, It's a great recommendation. We'll definitely link it in the show notes. I mean, we learned so much today about Composal Commerce and your approach and how to really help customers to you know, get from point A to point B compose their outcomes beyond technology. So Anurag, thank you very much for being on the show. It was a great pleasure. All right, Boris, thank you very much. And uh, hope you have a good uh, rest of the shop talk. And uh, I'm very excited about our partnership with, with Spryker. Likewise.